A friend of mine, um, friendly guy. Oh, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll cheat on your class next week. He, uh, we were, this is when I lived in Troy, New York. Uh, one, one day he had, he's a friendly guy, likes to chat up everybody. And uh, one day he came by a, a group of, uh, it's a motorcycle gang. I don't want to uh, badmouth any particular motorcycle riders, so I don't know what the brand of motorcycle was. Um, but they had a, uh, they, they all had their leather on and everything. And, and as motorcycle gangs often do, they had their name of their gang inscribed on the back. And it was old English letters. Uh, and he went up to uh, the group, one of the guys, and he just kind of chatting. I don't know if they were coming out, of a, coming out of a store with coffee or whatever. And he goes, so, so what does Dominican saints mean? Well, um, motorcycle groups not being known for their um, overly racially friendly uh, dispositions. This guy took rather an exception to being called a Dominican saint. Not knowing that my friend just didn't read Old English letters, he says it's Dominion saints. It means we have power on the roads and so on. That was kind of the end of that conversation. Uh, we're talking about Christ as the authority uh, and dominion and what all that means, uh, what it implies. And we come to a, 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 a one that's kind of a little bit odd. And it, it's going to look odd as, as we go through it. Um, but in Isaiah, and we've read this so many, so many times, and I wonder if we, we look at this verse and we just kind of skim over it and get to the, the, the good parts, uh, you know, the, all the, the, the prophecies of Isaiah 53 and what they mean and all these things. And there's, there's a title in there that's kind of a strange title. Uh, and so in Isaiah 53, we see in verse 1 through 4, it says, Who has believed our report? Uh, to whom? Am I on? I'm not on. I better fix that before we go. All right. I'm sorry about that. I keep on doing, forgetting to do that. All right. Uh, who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant. And as a root out of dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Now, as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not, and surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. And, and it goes on and on. And we, I preached a message probably, I don't know when it was, uh, probably in April, talking about all of the different types of suffering that this man of sorrows is called, and yet... And yet, there's this one phrase. When we look at this passage, this, this whole chapter seems to be talking about a very weak person, a very suffering person, a person on the, the low end of any totem pole. And yet, the opening title that he's given is not even man of sorrows. He's given the title, Arm of the Lord. And what that signifies, the arm is significant of reach, right? And so we're going to look at, <clears throat> we're going to back up a couple of chapters and, and explore this idea. That here is this low 
person, this, this man of sorrows, this man suffering, this tormented and persecuted, and all these different things, and yet he's called the, the, the reach, the arm of the Lord. Uh, and so it signifies conquest. I want to look at this passage. Let's, um, actually, I want to read a larger passage uh, that won't fit up here. In Isaiah chapter 51, and I'll just kind of highlight some of the verses up here. But in Isaiah 51... <clears throat> And we are going to be beginning uh, in verse 9, I believe. He says, Awake, and put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in the ancient days. In the generation of old, are you not the arm that cut Rahab apart and wounded the serpent? Are you not the one who dried up the sea? the waters of the great deep and made the depths of the sea a road for the redeemed to cross over. For the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing and with everlasting joy on their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness. Sorrow and sighing shall flee away. I, even I, am he who comforts you. Who are you that you should be afraid? Afraid of a man who will die and the son of man who will be made like grass. And you will forget the Lord your Maker who stretched out heavens and laid the foundations of the earth, and you have feared continually every day because of the fury of the oppressor when he prepared to destroy. And where is the fury of the oppressor? The captive exile hastens that he may be loosed, that he should not die in the pit, and that his bread should not fail. But I am the Lord your God, who divided the sea, whose waves roared. The Lord of hosts is his name. Uh, when we think of the arm of the Lord, when we think of reach of an authority, the first thing we might think of is conquest. Um, <clears throat> any boy or any parent of boys knows the concept of conquest. If two boys have an object, they will see who can throw it the furthest. If two boys stand on a bridge, they will see who can spit the furthest. It will not be limited to these bodily functions. <laughs> we have a phrase... I won't even go into that. There's a phrase, and you know it. Uh, when boys grow up, they do not outgrow this tendency. Right? For example, when boys with spitting contests grow up and have armies, they desire to conquest the world and, and see how far they can reach. And so, Julius Caesar says, well, Alexander the Great, watch this. And, and Hitler might say to Napoleon, watch this. And they, and they try to take over the world. Same thing we do every day. Try and take over the world. God says, I have reach. I have the arm of the Lord. I am the arm of the Lord. That's Christ. I, I, am the, I have the greatest reach. I have God's reach. I believe a, a portion at least of this passage is a prophecy of the church. Uh, I believe he, is the, he, he talks about the world waiting on the Lord's army. The world is waiting. And they were just waiting for the conquest of the Lord. And when we think of conquest, a lot of times we think of the negative sides of conquest and being captured and, and all the negative things that happen with, with, with conquest. 
I want you to understand the, the, the part of the idea of conquest. Well, who does the conquest? It's typically those nations which are stronger, which are succeeding, so far as I've ever understood history. And largely, they succeed because their technology is better. And what happens when a technologically superior empire takes over an inferior one. Well, the technology there improves, and the education there improves, and things improve. And you might not like the conquest, but when Rome takes over you, you kind of get better. And when France conquers all these, these uncivilized portions of Europe in the, in the East, they get better. He brings things to them. And, and God says, the world, you might not like the conquest, the arm of the Lord is coming for conquest, but, but it will get better. Yes, there's going to be unpleasant things, but, but when Christ comes, he's, he's got this reach, and He's going to bring things with Him. And the world is just waiting here 700 years before Christ comes. They're waiting. The Gentile world is waiting for Christ to come and to conquest. Well, <clears throat> the problem that these four guys had is the other part of of conquest, the other part of reach is that you eventually go past your ability to defend the area that you've taken. That happens inevitably everywhere. And so Julius Caesar reaches India. Wonderful. Now you can't control this great land. I don't know if he particularly himself reached India or Augustus or whoever it was, but I, I know I know that that Rome reached to India and then receded because they had outgrown their ability just a, a small little boot nation and these people now have to defend all that land well that's very hard to do God's, God's the arm he has the ability to defend look at Isaiah 51 8 through 10 just, we've already read it he says my righteousness will be forever and my salvation to all generations. Awake, awake, put on the arm, uh, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in the days of old, the generations long ago. Was it not you who cut Rahab in pieces, who pierced the dragon? Was it not you who dried up the sea and the waters of the great deep, who made the depths of the sea or a way for the redeemed to pass over? Now, I want to just explain a little bit what he's referencing here. What's Rahab? That sounds kind of gross, cutting up some lady. Rahab, Isaiah dis, dis, defines what Rahab is. It's prophetic reference or a symbolic reference to Egypt. <clears throat> and he, he defines that a little bit earlier in, in the book. And, and the reference to the dragon is not a fire-breathing dragon, but it's a, the, the word was applied to a crocodile. It was the, the symbol of the Nile, which was also Egypt. So, so he's referencing Egypt. He, he's talking about how, how they were in, in slavery before. And he's, he, in this passage, he's predicting the exile in Babylon. And he's saying, listen, it's not a, a permanent situation. You're going to go into exile. You've been there before. You, you've been enslaved before. I have the ability to defend. And so he's prophetically talking here what's going to happen in, in just under 200 years after they've gone in. So, so in about 100 years from this point, as he writes this, the, the, the Israel is going to be enslaved in Babylon. And he's already predicting the end of it. He's already saying prophetically, O oh, arm of the Lord, O oh, Christ, come and wake up and get your people back out. God has not just the ability to conquest. and He, he uses the, the example of the conquest 
in the past as, as this reference to being able to defend his people. I don't care how far you go. I can defend you. You go to Babylon. Oh, the world is coming to an end. I can get you back. Our world so often seems at an end and we seem so far from God. God says, you haven't gone anywhere that I can't defend you, that I can't get you back. There is, of course, the, the other aspect of conquest. And, and as we said, some, some ideas of conquest are not pleasant. And this is one final one that is not pleasant. And that is the concept of enforcement. See, when, when an empire brings civilization to you, we like that. We like the aqueducts and we like the, the public baths and we like all the, the, the bread and circuses and we like all the stuff that Rome brings, but, but Rome brings her laws. Rome brings enforcement and soldiers and taxes and all the other things that come with it. We don't like that aspect of it, do we? Isaiah 51, verse 13 says this, Have you forgotten the Lord your Maker who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth and you fear continually all the day because of the wrath of the oppressors? You're afraid of everybody else. You're afraid of the wrong person. When he sets himself to destroy, where is the wrath of the oppressor? God has already conquested over these people. He's already ruled over these people. You're afraid of the wrong person. See, with the conquest comes a fear of the one who has done the conquering. He talked about a kingdom and that the premise of it is righteousness. He rules in righteousness. There needs to be this idea, this acceptance that, that a, a conquest is based on a concept. The rules that come with the new ruler. Now, of course, kings get the credit for these great exploits. Julius Caesar didn't do almost any of the work of, of conquering, or Alexander the Great. They had great ideas, and they might have had, more likely, they had great generals. When we think of God the Father as the king, and that is true, but we've seen already that God sends out, he says, awake, O arm of the Lord. That, that God sends out Christ as the enforcer. We saw last week that Christ is the Lord and the Master. And here we see that the arm of the Lord, this title of Christ, the man of sorrows is the arm of the Lord. And he comes not just to conquest and, and to bring gifts, he doesn't come just to defend us, but he comes with some policy. The policy of righteousness. And so we want to know the arm. That's a strange phrase. Know the arm. Well, how many times do you say, I know that like the back of my hand? Same, same. Right? So, so it's really not that strange of a statement. Right, when we say that, we mean, I know him pretty well. I'm very well acquainted. The arm of the Lord is a title given to Christ, so it's another opportunity to know Him in a unique way. And so we want to know Christ as the arm of the Lord. There are overused phrases in our, uh, in our lexicon. And uh, we were sitting uh, down at supper about a week ago, 
And Anthony, I think it was Anthony, pointed out that our barbecue sauce said award-winning on it. Award-winning. That's a strange... How many times have I put... What is it? Sweet Baby Ray's. I think we have a big thing of it. I checked the one down here, too. It says, it says award-winning. He was right. It says award-winning. Award-winning barbecue sauce. Everything seems to win awards. Well, good barbecue sauce. I just bought it because it was the cheapest one on the shelf and it won an award. Did it win an award for cheapest barbecue sauce? I don't know what the award was. didn't say what the award was. It just won an award. How do I know it won an award? I just, it's got a label on it that says it won an award, so I just trust that it won an award. And we don't, we no one questions that this won an award. They could have just put that on a label and nobody knows and no one's going to check it. It won an award. I checked, it did win an award in 1985. They're still, they're still living off of that. It won a, 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 apparently it's a big barbecue contest in Chicago. Anywho. We trust things. We just trust. And that, that's a concept. Knowing the arm of the Lord is a concept of trust. As I don't bring that up to talk about awards. There's a, a phrase in politics that says, trust but verify. You ever heard that before? Um, Ronald Reagan borrowed it. He didn't come up with it. He borrowed it from Russia. Russia is not a very trustworthy place. I'll tell you that first-hand experience. Trust but verify is a polite way of saying don't trust anything. If I have to verify, if I have to fact check you, it means I don't trust you. If I have to fact check my barbecue sauce, it's because I don't trust the label. I, I don't, I, I'm going to check up on you because I'm not quite sure. I don't quite believe you. Benjamin, when we were in Ukraine, would try out new words. And I'm not hip on learning words, especially in the vernacular. Uh, so, and I know little kids tend to learn all the wrong words first when they're learning a new language. And the parents are really slow on the uptake. So <clears throat> he came home with a new word one day, and I did some fact-checking. He was, and he told me what it meant, and he was right. It wasn't bad. So I, I fact-checked with my translator. I'm like, Benjamin's got a new word. What does it mean? It's like, he goes, it's like, oh man. I was like, okay, that's what Benjamin said it's like. Okay, it's the same thing. Good. And fact check. Why? Because I don't trust him. More, I don't trust the people he's hanging out with. Right? I don't trust. So I verify. Trust but verify. Do you trust God? Do you have to fact check God? He's the arm of the Lord. I want to look at this verse, Ezekiel chapter 20. <clears throat> Excuse me. Ezekiel 20, verse 33 through 36, he says, I will be king over you. I will bring you out from the people and gather you out of the countries where you are scattered with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm, and with wrath poured out. And I will bring you to the wilderness of the people. And there I will enter into judgment with you face to face. And as I entered into judgment with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt, so I will enter into the judgment with you, declares the Lord God. And we again, we again see this, this idea of, 
of people coming back. Ezekiel's now a hundred years after. This is, Ezekiel's kind of lives about the same time as Daniel. And so he's predicting the end of this, this captivity. But uh, he's got a, a slightly different angle on this. And he says, listen, I'm going to come and punish the people who took you captive, but then we're going to sit down and I'm going to talk to you. Because you and me have some issues as well. But he begins with this phrase, and he says it a couple times, I will. And the, the arm of the Lord, and knowing the arm of the Lord, is about trusting. Do you trust that what he says is true? Do you, do you live by that? And so the first concept is observing the policy. Do you trust that? Because he says, listen, we're going to have to sit down and talk about the rules. I've conquered. You and me are going to have a conversation. I will enter into judgment with you face to face, just like I did with your fathers in the wilderness of the land of Egypt. So when they came out of Egypt and they were doing all those things, God had to have a little sit down and talk about policy. They got a long list of policy to observe. And they we're going to revisit that. And Ezra does the same thing. They come back and Ezra's helping rebuild, but Ezra does a lot of reinforcing of the laws of Moses. So, so that's what he's talking about. So we see in one moment the dual nature of God. Yes, I'm kind. Yes, I'm going to defend. But you've got to trust me because these, this is the law of the land. This is the policy. Rules that their fathers broke are going to be enforced. The second idea here in Jeremiah chapter 32, as we try to know, as we try to apply, basically, as we try to apply what we just learned, he says, Our Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens. We've, we've sung this song, right? Our Lord God. Uh, it's you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard or too difficult for you. You show steadfast love to thousands, but you repay the guilt of the fathers to their children after them. O great and mighty God, whose name is the Lord of hosts, great in the counsel and mighty indeed, whose eyes are open to all in the ways of the children of man, rewarding each one according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds. So here we see again a couple of these things. We see the, the, the justice side of things, but, but we also see the reward. We see that, that kind side, those bringing the, the, all the things that the arm of the Lord brings with him in conquest. Don't despair. Here's these people sitting and waiting and waiting for God to come, waiting for the arm of the Lord to reach out and get them back. When is it going to happen? And they're reminding themselves, God has done all these things in the past. He'll do it again. We have mentioned numerous times His ability to save. He can save to the uttermost. And and all these different things, there's nothing that's too difficult, right? Right? And he reminds them of this previous point. There is no place that, that you can go that God can't reach you 
and get you back. When we are in the moment, we let ourselves get overwhelmed by the circumstances. And we, we see very short distance. And, and, and we tend to see the difficulty and the walls and the barriers and the problems. And that, that's the, what we focus on. And we don't even have difficulties like this. I know our difficulties are huge to us. They are so huge to us. Ray mentioned in his, in his prayer this morning, and I, I was just thinking as he's talking about people and places that they're not worried about the, the scheduling of things. They're, they're not worried about the things that we worry about. They're worried about being killed to, when they're together. There are people right now that are taking communion in this world not knowing if, if, if someone will come in the doors and kill them and burn them and behead them and shoot them. There are people right now with that fear. That's what it was like back here. I know it's almost like a fairy tale saying this. That is a real thing that happens in this world. In places like Sudan and in China, even in Mexico. That is a real thing. We don't have those worries. Our, our problems are so small. Sometimes we have to invent problems to worry about. You ever do that? <coughs> it's like, I don't have anything to worry about. I, I need to invent something. I need to create a stress. Don't despair. God has not forgotten you. In those moments where there are real and significant things, maybe not like that, maybe something completely different. True, genuine emotional problems and traumas and tragedies that, that come up, I do not want to diminish those real things that are in our lives. We have real things. Do not get overwhelmed. Look past and, and, and remember these people, the same situation. They could only see this and they're trying to remind themselves of the past. God has done it before. He can do it again. The last, the last thing. John chapter 12, verse 37 through 40. He says this. He says, Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in him. So that the word spoken by the prophets of Isaiah... Uh, spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? Whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And that whole statement in Isaiah 53, now it's fulfilled. People had no idea what it is. Now it's fulfilled. This is what it's talking about. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe. For again Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. It was a rhetorical question. Who has the arm of the Lord been revealed to? It wasn't revealed to everybody. It was open to everybody. But the whole idea is, God knew that some people weren't going to accept it. And He designed a message that He knew that the weakest and the, the lowest would be able to grasp. Not everyone was going to get it. Who has it been revealed to? 
And so, join forces. We end up where we started, really. This passage in Isaiah, fulfilled. The arm of the Lord can reach anyone, but practically, it doesn't. Because people refuse to be reached. It is a hypothetical possibility for anyone to be reached. But not everyone chooses it. Who has it been revealed to? Those who accept it. Those who observe the authority and the power and the gifts and the blessings and all of it that comes as one big package. If you think that the planning that you do or the work that you do determines the success of what happens, whether it be VBS, and we put a lot of organization, people have put a lot of time and a lot of planning and a lot of building and designing and getting sunburned and all sorts of things that we've done. Balloon making. There's all sorts of things we do. And none of it, none of it makes anything happen. Is all a part of joining forces. Understand that God came and He said, I'm going to do it to the weakest so, so, so that they'll know that it's not them. So that they'll know that it's the arm of the Lord. It's the power of God through Jesus Christ. So as we finish here, I just want to know this. If we asked God, would God know that I trust Him? Would God know that I trust Him if I ask God? Because so if you ask me, yeah, I do. You ever you ever make a statement knowing that if someone verified or trusted, I trust, but verify. I'm going to verify what you just said. The, the the answer they might find from somebody else might not exactly match the statement you asserted. Trust but verify. Did you clean your room? I'm going to go verify. I I do that. with Because the the kids will come to me and this is what I say to them. Uh, Your mom's going to be home. Have you cleaned your room? Yes. Dad has lower standards for clean room. Dad has kind of the same standard as boys because he's a boy. Clean the middle right there. There's a spot right in your room that's about clean. I can see the carpet. So I say, will your mom say it's clean? So I'm, on, I'm out. If we verify with God, will God say that I trust Him? As evidenced by my observance of the policy of righteousness as observed by whether I'm optimistic that something can be successful whether or not I think it's the best plan or not. How optimistic am I that that this can work? Well, I don't think there's a... Do I trust the arm of the Lord to be able to do this? To bring me back? to, to, To bless an effort that I know that I'm probably inferior in planning or accomplishing or doing? Can God still bless it? Can God still work through it? We had people, and I'm going to finish with this. I know I'm over time, but we had people that, that 
came to our uh, through the, the farmer's market. So I, I know where your church is because I was at the garage sale. You ladies who did that probably didn't think that that would happen. We had another one. Oh! You remember the parade? The effort that went into that, and you probably thought, well, that seemed like a waste of a day. Somebody connected those two things. That stuck in somebody's memory. You don't understand what God can do. And you, you go, waste of time, what happened? You don't know what can happen. Trust God. Just trust God. 